Hi, this is Roy Worley. Welcome to the interview show that brings on guests from all walks of life. Yeah, it's here that they tell their stories and delve a little deeper into their lives to see what got them where they are. So grab a drink, have a seat, and relax, because this is The Leo Effect. So you finally made a name for yourself. Congratulations. But how do you get your name out to the world? Turn to World Star PR. The caring, honest, and invested team at World Star PR will get you maximum exposure through podcasts, TV, radio, amazing press releases, and red carpet events. They'll ensure that you are worldwide. Jimmy Starr, entertainment guru, and Eileen Shapiro, rock star journalist, will give you the world. So come join the likes of legendary actor Ron Russell, iconic musicians Scott Page and Fred Schneider, world-class designer Sue Wong, TV personality Mickey Burns, and so many more. Check them out on Facebook or on their website, jimmystarsworld.com slash worldstarpr. Worldstar PR, where the world revolves around you. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Leo Effects. I am Ray Rumsey, your host. And I am joined today by a bassist, producer, music consultant, and all-around virtuoso. I'm very excited to have him here. He's working on a bunch of projects, and especially one that, you know, if you've been listening to the show at all, you know is kind of near and dear to my heart. Uh, but we'll, we'll get to that part. But allow me to introduce my guest for this evening, Fabrizio Fab Grossi. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Ray. Thanks, man. Thank you for having me. And hi, everybody. <laughs> Perfect. And and you know, it's it's wonderful that you're here. You know, it you got some really amazing stuff. But first, I want to talk kind of a little bit about your background and your history and what got you to where you are now. And um, so, music has that always been a thing for you? Yes, actually. Uh... I'm 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 not coming from a, a music family whatsoever. Uh, so there's no musicians or artists in my family. I mean, don't I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean it in a you know diminishing way. It's just that you know they everybody in my family loves music, but no one really pursued a you know professional musician's career. Mm -hmm. I only had an uncle that was a an accomplished piano player. Uh, but he was also, you know, involved in his own business and all of that. But other than that, it was just like something that, you know, uh, it was actually a problem. I'm the first one in the family that makes such a, you know, made such a decision. Um, I've always been exposed to Italy, uh, to, uh, to music. I grew up in Italy. Uh, I was born in Milan and um, I lived, uh, you know, for a lot of years over there. And then I moved, uh, you know, when I turned 20 to the States, to New York. Um, I came to the states a few times earlier like a couple of years earlier because uh in my late teens uh the band that i had in milan uh got signed with sony and uh back then was the end of the 80s uh record companies used to invest money <laughs> i guess <laughs> in bands and so they sent us to upstate new york and to canada to play to perform with uh you know americans and canadians bands so you know just to get more familiar with you know, English language and all of that. So um, that was kind of like an eye opener for me because even though I, I mean, I listen to all kind of music, uh, obviously being in Italy, Italian music was like a big component, but not, I would say that the strange eighties or even nineties stuff that people might consider 
I mean, I don't even know how to define it too, but more for the music from the 50s and the 60s. And actually that kind of Italian music, it's quite um, entertaining and actually very, very particular. Um, there's a lot of movies. Uh, there is a resurgence, especially in Hollywood in the last 15, 20 years of uh, that kind of music. And, you know, from uh, the talented Mr. Ripley to uh, Born Identity and a lot of movies, uh, even 007, Zavdek, um, uh, what's his name, the other one, Ocean Eleven and all of that. There is a lot of music from that era. It's quite intriguing. And then obviously, um, you know, were the, the the classics and all of that. And, you know, there was not, Italy never been really like a rock place, but I was, you know, very attracted by that sound. But to be honest with you, uh, it's always been black music for me. Uh, even when I was a, a, a little kid, I remember the first two records that my mom gave me, two singles, and I remember I had a player, like a, an orange geloso player, you know, the one that you stick the, the single in it, and then you just play it, and then it pops back up like a toaster, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I remember those two, and, and, and it's funny, because I was really, I was three years old, that was for my third birthday, and I remember that she gave me two singles. One was the Beatles, Obladi, Oblada, and the other one, I Can Get No Satisfactions by the Rolling Stones. Um, for some reason, you know, when my mom and my dad and everybody else was around and stuff like that, I always played the Beatles, but I always played the Beatles, but when everybody was gone and I was like, be on my own, it was the Rolling Stones. <laughs> yes, that was the darkest <laughs> side. It was just coming in. And... Um, the thing is, like like I said, it was not really like a, a, a rock uh, country uh, growing up in the 70s in Italy. Uh, but, uh, I mean, yeah, some of the stuff that probably, for, for you know, for the American public were, you know, already like, you know, oldies. I guess like stuff like Jim Vincent or, you know, the Platters or Elvis Presley and stuff like that. But uh, for some reason... Italy was very, very, very exposed to contemporary music for black then, uh, from back then. Uh, there was actually black music, Heart Wind and Fire, uh, Ike and Tina Turner, um, uh, James Brown, uh, all that stuff. And that for me did it. I mean, I was like, I did not know what it was. I didn't know anything. I mean, it was just, you know, you're a kid, you know, you just worry about play and all of that. But, mm -hmm. you know, some of those sounds, I mean, I, I know that they were kind of like, waking up something in me that was different than anything else uh you know than any other experience that i would have had when you know some other type of music would come up on the radio um you know obviously then you you get to be a little bit older and you know to friends and older you know siblings and all of that you get to hear other stuff and uh but i remember that my main switch in terms of like really music that i remember that okay i i like this and i want to do this it was like a three, I would say three major experience, actually four major experience. One was, and I know that you're going to laugh when I say this, and, you know, even my wife and my daughter, you know, and my friends, they're like, how the hell can you remember that? I don't, I, it's not that I remember everything that happened in my life, but, you know, I guess these things are very important. So um, I think it was like 1972, and that was, I was four and a half years old. Uh, James Brown with his band um, was... Uh, uh, the main featured guest on a Saturday night TV in Italy and in a lot of uh, Latin countries, even on this side of the world, you know, from Mexico to Argentina, Colombia, for some reason, Saturday night is a big family night on TV. And there are shows, you know, um, I don't even, it's more like a cut up a Vegas show. Obviously there is a host, a musical guest, there is all kind of stuff, right? And so a lot of families used to stay home and watch uh, the Saturday night TV event. 
TV for us was still in black and white. And I remember that night, James Brown came up with his band. And I figured, I found out later that actually Bootsy Garlins was on bass. Oh. Uh, and they played uh, Sex Machine and uh, Get a Pop of That Tang. I mean, I know that from later because I saw, you know, footage and all of that. But I remember that when that thing went on, uh, my parents told me that, you know, they still remember that I was just glued to the TV. I could not just, I, I was just shocked. I mean, I was like, and I guess half of the, you know, half, probably all, everyone that watched that show that night, because they nobody has ever seen something like that in Italy back then, especially not on TV. That was like uh, the baptized by fire, I would say. <laughs> and, uh, and if you roll, if you just fast forward about uh, uh, seven years, no, yeah, probably about seven or eight years, um, I was uh, spending uh, a month and a half in London. Uh, it was a common thing to do in Europe to just go to the UK and just stay with the family, like a, like a student exchange kind of program. Mm-hmm. Um, where you stay living in the family for like uh, three weeks or so, you take some English lessons and, you know, just to, you know, that kind of, that kind of stuff, right? And I remember that there were a bunch of friends uh, of mine that were a little bit older. Uh, they were coming from Italy and all of that. They were all music, uh, you know, dedicated uh uh, listeners and avid fans of a lot of bands and of course i i know already about acdc and you know and a bunch of of course the stones and you know all the classics but um they dragged me to castle donington uh 1983 it was um and it's funny because i always bring that i always bring i mean that was like one of my conversation and my uh, opening conversation when I first met, met Billy Gibbons because that night uh, at the Castle Donington, the bill was insane. Uh, Diamond Heads, Dio uh, playing his first show as a solo band with Vivian Campbell, uh, Vinnie Appice, and uh, I forgot the um, bass player, great guy that passed away. Uh, he used to play with Rainbow. Oh, Vane. Uh, uh, I, uh, I, I, I don't remember the name. I'm sorry. Uh, Meatloaf, ZZ Top, that was the biggest uh, festival appearance that they've ever done in Europe uh, around that time. That mm-hmm. was, you know, when Eliminator was like really ranking in, in the charts, especially in the States. And then White Snake with the original lineup uh, with Cozy Powell, Bernie Marsden, Mickey Moody, Neil Murray, and John Lord. Well, let me tell you something. ZZ Top, I was, it was kind of a shock, you know, because of the theatrics and all of that. And it was like interesting, right? But Wisenake, it was insane. And when they played Ain't No Love in the Heart of the City, and, you know, you have to consider that there was something like about 100,000 people at that event. And that the English festivals were very, very famous back then because people used to throw everything. Like, I mean... I don't even know if I can say these kind of things on, <laughs> uh, you know, on, on the media, but, uh, you know, bucket full of, you know, urine and, and pieces of food and everything. So uh, things will quiet down during a, a band set, but then in between bands, it was like the sky was covered, right? So it was just, you know, a, a madhouse, people sleeping there for two nights before. So I, I'll just let you imagine what kind of, uh, scenario was, you know, mm-hmm. and probably not necessarily the most appropriate for a 14 years old guy, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, like a couple of thousand miles away from home. But then Whitesnake came on, and when they played that song, everything just completely changed, and everybody was singing along, and it was, I was just surreal. And I said, "Wow, this is so cool! I want to, 
So do this. And, you know, obviously I didn't make the connection between Bobby Blue Band and blues and funk and black music. You know, obviously I didn't know any better. And uh, two months after that, um, you know, actually three months, in the month of November, uh, I was doing school. Queen came to play in Milan. Actually, I think it was the first show that they've ever did. Uh, in a place that then, after a few months, uh, collapsed under the weight of snow. We had a, you know, an insane snow storm that year, and you know, just the old sitting. Just, and I remember that I saw Queen, and it was like, oh my god, an otherworldly experience. And my brother was uh, a few years older than me. I uh, knew some people that were working uh, in the facility and um, we ended up in going backstage, like in this big room where there was like a journalist and stuff. I mean, I did not know anybody back then. I didn't know anything about what's what's a music critic or anything like that. I was just happy to be there. And I remember that I was like really energized because of course the show, but there was like something that, you know, when you like, you know, I don't know, when you have like a lot of coffee or something like that, you feel that kind of, you know, rush, right? Right. And I couldn't really explain what it was, but then my brother, you know, takes me, he said, oh, we need to leave, you know, we need to go and everything. And on the way out, I realized that I was actually giving my back to Freddie Mercury. So without even knowing it, I'm just, you know, was feeling this guy's energy. And I had no wonder that it was like something that it was just insane. And, you know, Queen you know, has been one of my favorites, man. So these are the... Uh, the, the first three things that really changed my life. And um, around that time, Bob Marley, actually, for, uh, um, I don't remember the exact date. It was like probably a little bit more towards the summer at uh, his biggest show ever in the Milan soccer stadium. There was about 100,000 people. Uh, I always loved Bob Marley. And that was the other thing. So these four things, I guess, are these four episodes are what brought me to music. And I, I was just bigger than anything else that I've ever seen. I mean, I I was not interested in anything else. <laughs> That's pretty much. <laughs> I mean, my father had his business and, and all of that. And, you know, I should have probably continued on, the, you know, the family trail. But um, I guess this passion was a little bit, uh, a little bit, actually, it was stronger. The thing is, like, uh, I started to play and, um, you know, obviously you got your band, you wanted to uh, do demos and all of that. And back then, like I said, Italy wasn't necessarily a, a, a rock country right so so even you know uh, sound engineers and recording studio uh they had their own system you know the, the type of music that they were dealing with on the day-to-day -to -day, day -to -day, uh, base was different you know so i will go in with i don't know like a record from van halen or acdc hey you know i want this thing and just the engineers was like no no this is wrong <laughs> you mean this is wrong you know so uh, it's, it was always like a, a back and forth and that's how where i started to get into production you know i kind of like i had to learn how, you know how to you know figure things out myself because you know None of these big professionists were giving me what I wanted, you know. Mm -hmm. um, then obviously, you know, things get better, you know, you're getting better on your instrument. Uh, we started to play, we got our deal and, you know, started to play with, uh, you know, on this side of the ocean. And that was like an eye opener for me, like I was telling you earlier, because I, you know, ended up in going to a studio to record a few things and also seeing the way the technicians and the other bands were working and all of that. And it was like people were behaving like the way I thought musicians should behave and technicians should behave and you know producers should behave uh in terms of choices of sound i'm not talking about you know the standard things are you know standard everywhere it's just you know the choices you know how loud you can be on stage and you know how you record drums and all that kind of stuff so it was not a brainer when my band 
like it generally happens with a lot of men that is banded, I uh, decided to give uh, uh, the states a, you know, a shot, a chance. You know, it's okay. Let me try it now because if I don't do it now, I'm gonna do it when I'm forty or fifty. <laughs> so you know, just you know, and I was already working with a lot of artists and stuff. I was making actually, I was making a great living even though I was just twenty. Actually, it, it, it was uh, somebody probably would have called me like stupid to like leave everything that was going on back then but you know that was not the music that i like you know and what to be a musician if i don't have to play what i want then may as well have another job and make more money or, you know do not have all the worries and the headaches that you have when you're a musician so i came here went to new york and um i joined a, a band a guitar player and a drummer um we were doing like a very phonobolic instrumental uh crazy things obviously then we got the singer we i was in new york for four years uh, i have some acquainted and very very distant families there um but then i had a chance to come to los angeles um for a nam show i came to los angeles for the nam show and i was uh, again another shock uh and after a year i came back and i moved out here and um i was of course i mean uh, i'm just giving you the short you know, and the short story. <laughs> right. Uh, my obviously my collaborations with a lot of other with other artists that grew both in the states and actually I was still in touch with a lot of people in, in Italy and now me living here and having colleagues over there. Sometimes you know we would do you know work or recordings. I was coordinating things and all of that. And you know when I came to the states, uh, uh, when I came to Los Angeles, uh, for a lucky series, uh, lucky series of uh, circumstances. I ended up joining um, um, Steve Vine, the recording studio. Um, I was jamming with a band and happened, the guitar player in the band happened to be his um, guitar, his tech, his actually studio tech. And Steve was recording uh, something and uh, uh, my friend, uh, Marcelo, that was his name, um, told Steve about me, that was an Italian guy and all of that. Steve obviously, you know, uh, is of Italian heritage and funny enough, uh, where his family's from, it's like really like 20 miles from, you know, where I'm from. Oh, wow. uh, yeah, it's from the north and everybody, you know, because everybody thinks that if you're Italian, you're either Sicilian, Neapolitan or Calabrese, you know, well, actually we have a big part of Italy that it's not in the south, it's in the north too, <laughs> you know, so, and and actually, you know, we're George Romani, um, uh, Puccini, Verdi, and you know a lot of figures like that uh, are are from. Um, I ended up playing with Steve, and um, that was those were the years where kind of like uh, the the, the post grunge confusion reigned supreme. So everybody was still into rock, but they couldn't really uh, kind of like determine what kind of rock they wanted to listen to, and. Um, I always like, you know, all kind of rock, but they had some sort of like a like a straight appeal for some reason. Um, so I ended up in uh, with a bunch of other friends and running a night, a Thursday night in a club in uh, in Hollywood. That was like rock team, anything from like air metal to you know hard rock, classic rock, whatever it is, but very not poser, very very street, right? Uh, the club was actually quite successful. It was called the Tribe and. Uh, a friend of actually was the girlfriend, the ex-girlfriend of Johnny Lydon of Sex, uh, the Sex Pistols. Um, it was an obituary of the club. She's like, Fabrizio, I want to introduce your friend of mine as, an, as another, as a fellow European of yours. He's uh, a famous singer. I know that you know her. Um, who is it? It's like Nina Hagen. Which, oh, really? Oh, wow. Because I remember, obviously, uh, you know, growing up in Italy, you know, she's German. So um, we became friends immediately. And actually, I asked her if she wanted to 
play a couple of songs there at the club. She says, I would like to do an acoustic show and everything, but um, uh, she, she made some strange requests and everything because she knew that we had a band and she saw us playing. She says, but I want you to like, you guys to help me out in the studio next week. Okay, so I went to the studio and she gave me this song that she got out of her um, voicemail recorder. You know, you remember those like little cassettes? Yeah, you know, yeah. You know, okay. So, you know, and um, that actually was a song <laughs> <laughs> that Joy uh, Ramones uh, wrote, co-wrote with Lou Reed. And uh, they didn't, you know, back then was not like today, you know, it's like iPhone and digital notes and Pro Tools and everybody's got a studio at home. It was, you know, still old school, you know. Um, they ended up in calling her. <laughs> like in the middle of the night from one of the crazy partying in New York. And they were both playing guitar and singing on their answering machine. And I had to figure the song out. Now, those two guys are not really renowned to have the best pitch or anything like that. I mean, but that goes beyond with those kind of artists, right? Well, if you take that into consideration and the fact that those cassettes had a speed that was their own, you know, it was kind of like try, difficult to try to figure out what they were playing because it was like in, it was not you know flat it was not sharp it was you know the, the the old tape was but we got it out and and you know was really really happy about what they did so you know I became our musical director and um, when uh, it was about time to go out on tour for again thanks to Steve Vai and some other friends that I made uh, Steve I consider him as my Music Godfather, him and Steve Lukather, they are the two, my guardian angels. Those are the guys that gave me the, my, my breaks when I got here in Los Angeles. If it wasn't for them, I'm most likely not going to be here doing what I'm doing. Because uh, with Luke, I learned mo- a lot about the studio recordings and all of that. Because I was doing a lot of coordination and, and productions and all of that. Uh, and uh, seeing a top guy like that, the work in recording, uh, his work in ethics and, you know, and the tricks and all of that. I was just like, I mean. People they will pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to be schooled by people like that, and you know, and I had the chance to you know live it, you know, right there. And and Steve on a lot of other stuff. I mean, he was more like the spiritual counselor and all of that. It's just you know, he gave me a lot of boost and also you know the credibility. I mean, back then you know, Vi was just fresh out of you know David Lee Roth and you know Passion and Warfare, and I mean, it's just like probably was was the most famous rock guitar player on the planet at that time, if if not the one of the top five so i mean you're recording with this guy and then all of a sudden everybody starts looking at you like oh man you got your ass together you know um so that gave me the opportunity to do a bunch of things and landed my first production deal with warner um, a european branch of warner and so i had to call myself out of nina's band but i did give her a substitute with it still now is one of my best friends in the world, Johnny Gripper, which is a great bass player. And he played with everybody, with Slash, with uh, Pat Benatar, with Johnny Lydon. I mean, it's just like, it's one of, you know, the top call guys here in Los Angeles. And, you know, and almost 30 years later, we're still, you know, very, very, very close. So Johnny took up my, spy, uh, my spot and I started making records and I haven't stopped since. <laughs> that's pretty much, that's pretty much the, the short, you know, the short run. Yeah, man, you just you you are all over the place. You you really yeah. come a long way. And now you're also working on a new uh, like charity kind of thing, and that yes. brings us to you know one of the major points that I wanted to talk about. And you know I'll let you you know say the name of it and and go through all of that. But uh, 
we're definitely at the end of the show going to have you know tell people where to go that they can kind of learn more about it if there's a website or anything but you know i'll let you take it away as to what it's called and and what all it entails absolutely um five years ago uh, thanks to uh i'm not going to tell you the whole story because it's a fairly long thing but uh thanks to a suggestion by billy F. gibbons um i started this band called supersonic blues machine uh, Supersonic Blues Machine is like a jam band. It's like a power trio, um, now consisting of uh, Kenny Aronoff, the drummer extraordinary, uh, myself uh, on bass, and Chris Barras, uh, lead vocals and uh, guitar. He's from the UK. Um, we have a bunch of different sidemen with us, um, but our gimmick is that we have a lot of friends and guests on our recordings and also on tour. Billy being uh, one of them, but there also Warren Haynes, Steve Lukather, Robin Ford, Walter Trout, Joe Lewis Walker, Eric Gales, who I produced several records for. Um, this combination and this actually uh, exposure to some of these cats got me uh, to meet some very, very interesting people and uh, got me to finally uh, being able to put together things myself and to getting tapped in the back uh, when there are mm, uh, charity or special events that are meant to do something good beyond the actual doing a good show and give people a good time for the night of the performance. Um, so, um, and obviously, uh, not to pitch uh, Supersonic Blues Machine, but actually we're finishing our new record, our third record in studio, and it's going to be released probably in November. So everyone that listens to... Uh, the show, please uh, check us out at www.supersonicblues.com. We're on Instagram as Supersonic Blues Machine. Please follow us there and on Facebook again, Supersonic Blues Machine. Uh, right on, we have right a very, on. very particular record coming out. Again, uh, working and touring and all of that with Billy and all of that, we got to meet some very, very interesting people. And I got asked, uh, I got presented, um, well, not really presented, but I got to make a quaint, uh, I, you know, I became aware of a lot of different things that sometimes uh, people know or hear about, uh, but don't, don't really get the experience to, to, to experience personally. And I got to experience first the actual, um, uh, really how crazy sometimes fans can be when you have some very particular musicians but i'm not talking about the crazy like the, the beatles mania you know the, the 16 years old girl you know with a young paul mccartney or john lennon i'm talking about people that are really kind of like they become attached to what you do and they go wherever you go because they feed out of your music your lyrics and all of that and uh, a lot of these people were veterans um and i got to become friends with several of them and uh, I got to hear stories. Uh, they are not necessarily uh, war stories like everyone probably might think like, oh, you know, when I was in Vietnam or when I was there. It's not that. I mean, yeah, that's part of it. But the main thing is actually was history, stories of pain and abandonment after the big sacrifices and uh, the big challenges that they had to endure during their tour and the services. And um, I ended up in meeting... Uh, couple of great gentlemen, Patrick Natasham and Breck Phillips, uh, who run an organization called Guitars for Vets. And I was immediately enamored by what they were um, presenting. Um, by the way, that's uh, www.guitars4vets.com. 
www.ghostbusiness.org if you guys want to check it out. Uh, basically, um, there's been studies that prove, scientifically, uh, medically proving, that uh, music, music therapy helps a lot um, to deal with what's, uh, I guess, uh, cele- not celebrated, but the awareness of this condition. It's celebrated in this month of June. It's called post-traumatic stress disorder. I'm sure that listener, the listeners have heard this name quite often. But, you know, uh, it's unfortunately is a very, very sad condition. And uh, it uh, affects the mental health of, of our vets, boys and girls. Um, music seems to be one of the best treatments. It doesn't involve chemicals, doesn't involve medication, doesn't involve shock treatments or anything like that. So basically, Guitar for Vets, what, uh, um, what they do at this point, I guess what we do is uh, organize guitar lessons or music lessons, music events. Uh, we collect gear, um, we accept donations, and we prepare these music programs where we, you know, buy music equipment for veterans that wants to learn. And there is like a, a different courses where they graduate from and giving these people something very good and positive to focus on. That it's not just their sadness or the depression or the confusions that generally comes with the, the post-traumatic stress disorder. And uh, um, again, this year I was officially named ambassador and I'm really, really proud of it. And um, this month we're celebrating, like I said, the first uh, gear drop ever. So everyone that has... Um, a guitar, a bass, uh, a microphone, a pedal, an amp, a piece of gear that it's not using no more. Instead of leaving it in the basement or in the attic or wherever, you know, just to collect dust, please, you know, again, www.guitarsforvets.org. You can see where all the donation centers are. And if you are in Los Angeles or in Chicago, um, today, um, you still have time. <laughs> uh, there was a, a great, actually, um, drop center at the, the Left Factory. It was actually a partner with Guitars for Vets in this initiative. Uh, we collected so many instruments here, it was not even funny. I was uh, earlier at the, guitar, at the Left Factory with uh, another dear friend of mine, great bass player, Carmine Rojas from Rod Stewart and David Bowie uh, fame. Uh, we donated some instruments. I brought some guitars as well, and we had a great fun. So we're looking to really expand this um, and take it to the next level where, you know, more people are aware, more people can help us help uh, vets. So that's something that it's uh, very particular. And another thing that it's um, very important for me is because I have a... a um, a personal project, it's a solo project, another musical project that is called Soul Garage Experience. And again, I wanted to call it with my name. I just wanted to, you know, make it a little bit more interesting music-wise, where I have a couple of other great musicians playing with me. And um, the particularity of this band is that it's even more like a soul music, soul rock, uh, um, psychedelic 60s and funk um, you know, anything that goes from, again, James Brown to Vintage Trouble, from Rival Sons to Lenny Kravitz, and a lot of Sly in the Family Stone. That's the music that I always love. But the particularity about this project is that it's combined with Guitar for Vets. So everything that we do, there is always a portion of any cent, every dollar that we make that goes to Guitar for Vets, uh, dedicated merchandise, uh, participation out of tickets, uh, royalties out of records. I mean, our records is going to be released soon, but everything that we already do, it's attached to that. I find it very important um, that I think uh, 
uh, I was blessed to have uh, to do what I like uh, for a living, and uh, and I understand that artists um, sometimes have a louder voice than a lot of other common people, but not because they're better. It's just because their position in which they're in, they have allowed them to talk to way more people that you know my next door neighbor would do, even though he's probably a better guy than me. And I think mm-hmm. that when you have when you have that chance and that power, you should use it to do something good. And um, I thought that I think, uh, again, my giving back to uh, the community and and these crazy dedicated fans and music lovers and people that are our vets, I think is just like a, a good thing. So our match and creating this, uh, you know, our records and our, and our shows uh, to support this and uh, try to get as many of my colleagues involved is been a blast because everybody's been super super um sympathetic and supportive i have a uh, you know big shout out to my dear friends eddie trunk that has been plugging this thing for the last week <laughs> crazy on his shows and on twitter and you know he's got a major pull and a lot of other local musicians too and nationwide so it's just something that it's uh, you know we're really 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 happy about it because uh it's something that uh again it doesn't you know, we don't get to talk politics with this. We don't get to talk uh, black, white, blue, pink, yellow. It, this is just like, you know, everyone is the same. It's somebody uh, is a vet, is a vet. And that's all it is. And um, But at the end of the day, beside all of it, is an American. Uh, and uh, if that person is in pain or is in need, uh, we, as American, consider myself, I'm an American citizen, proud of it. And I think that we have the need. And... Um, the duty to take care of it, you know? So, you know, it's something that really takes up a lot of my time, but I'm really, really happy to do it. That's awesome. That's absolutely amazing and such a noble cause that, you know, I'm so proud that you came onto the show to tell me about that. And, you know, all my listeners, as usual, make sure to check the podcast description. I'm going to have links to all this stuff. But before we sign off, I just want to say, you know, Fab, thanks so much for coming on the show and talking to me today and telling me about your history and such an inspiring project with Guitars for Vets. Oh, no, thank you for having me, and thanks for everybody who's listening. And again, um, guys, if you can, anything, anything, whether it's a dollar or a guitar, uh, anything can help. Um, and when you can help somebody that way, you see the results. is just really, really uplifting, so it's a good thing. Trust me, these guys are serious. Guitar for Vets is a really, really good organization. Uh, nobody's buying Mercedes out of it. You know, everybody's volunteering and they're doing what they do because they care. So that's fantastic. And we do this with music. So, I mean, what what could be better than that? So thank you for my, so much for, for having me and for giving me the opportunity to talk about this and uh, to talk to your listener. And also, you know, again, if you don't mind, I want to, again, say, you know, one more time, Please, guys, check us out for Supersonic Blues Machine um, on Instagram and on Facebook. And also, you know, if you guys want to see what I'm doing with uh, my solo project and all the activities with Guitar for Bats on my own, www.fabreziograssi.com. And I'm on Instagram as Rock and Roll Fab and on uh, Twitter as Rock and Roll Roll Fab. 
R and R Fab and uh, Facebook the same thing. So um, if you follow me or if you follow Guitar for Vets, or if you talk, if you follow Supersonic Goose Machine, you get all the updates about all these programs and other charities too. Because uh, actually, w- one last thing, um, uh, our involvement, especially with my solo project with Guitar for Vets, is part of a larger umbrella, which is a foundation that I just started. It was called Always a Home that actually deals with another um, problems that we have here in America and not only in America. Um, you know, I got, funny enough, uh, dedicated to this, um, spending my time between here and London uh, with the actual president of our, uh, the office of our record company in the UK, because he's another great guy uh, that does a lot of community services too. And um, we have this major plague here in Southern California, Los Angeles with the homeless and in London too. But this is a problem, unfortunately, that is afflicting uh the whole nation, I mean, majority of the nation, especially in the big city. And uh, it's really sad to notice that uh, a good chunk of the homeless population is, you know, it's formed by veterans. And uh, that's why these two things for me are going together. And that's why I'm so dedicated with uh, to the Guitars for Vets and the Always a, Song, uh, Always a Home uh, a Foundation, because uh, it's actually, they're two work that are, you know, they're touching each other. They're very close. And two, these are two causes that are very, very close to us. So we always uh, try to do as much as we can. Again, I'm sorry if I'm talking too much, but when, you know, when it comes down to these things, I'm getting even more excited than not talking about my next record. So, you know, <laughs> forgive me, guys. No, no, it's absolutely fine. It's a very, very good cause. And it is, it's definitely something that needs a little more highlighting. And I really do appreciate you bringing it up and, and doing so much for that cause it's it's really great so thank you very much you're welcome absolutely and thank you for having me yeah and thank you to the listeners who tuned in to check this out thank you so much for all your support and your time make sure to click the links and support where you can every little bit helps just like fab said you know we're all in this together so thank you all very much and we'll see you all next time bye bye oh now that was an awesome interview Thanks so much for listening. You all are so great. And don't forget to head to Facebook, Insta, and Twitter and follow The Leo Effects. If you want to hear some comedy and ridiculous voices, check out Shattered Dungeons on YouTube and all other places podcasts can be heard. And you'll hear me voicing crazy characters, usually pretty terribly. So thank you so much. You all are the absolute best. And we will see you all on the next episode.